so let's transition. So we are in the middle of our first series here. We're in the middle of our epicenter series. And we said that the epicenter is the center of an earthquake, right? From which the shock waves radiate out from in every direction. And we said that the, the bigger the disturbance, the bigger the epicenter, the uh, more broad the shock waves go out, and they affect everything that they touch, right? And we said the gospel is very much like the epicenter of an earthquake in our lives. It's a disturbance. Sometimes it's a violent destruction of life as we knew it. And it sends shock waves out that affect every part of our lives. Every part of our lives are affected. So two weeks ago, we said that because of the gospel, because of the epicenter, the gospel, I don't live for myself anymore, right? Life's not about me any longer. No longer am I the center of the universe. Because of the power of the gospel, Jesus is now the center of my universe. And he's changing me. And he's making me more like him. And he's helping me see people differently. Like No longer do I see people in worldly ways, in selfish ways, in just physical ways. Now I begin to see people the way that Jesus sees people. And I even get a chance to show people by my life, by the way that I live my life, I get a chance to show people Jesus. We talked about the fact that we get to be his ambassadors, that we get to be his agents of reconciliation in the world. And so the way that we say this around here is that we live to make Jesus make sense, right? This is what we talked about two weeks ago. We are preoccupied with making any necessary sacrifice to make the story of Jesus clear and accessible to anyone seeking after him. And that's a strong statement. That's like the foundation of what we do. We will make any necessary sacrifice, my comforts, Right? My preferences. I sacrifice myself for the good of others, especially those that are seeking Jesus, so that we can make the gospel clear to them. We live to make Jesus make sense to a world, to a people that we love. Uh, not as people who are perfect, right? Not as people who have it all figured out. None of us do. All of us are imperfect. But we have experienced the power, the transformation of the gospel in our lives, and we want other people to experience that as well. So that was two weeks ago. Last week we talked about uh, the thing that fuels and, and prepares and challenges us to make Jesus make sense to the people that we love. And it's our second value. And so we said we share life together. We said we cannot live without honest relationships. We are resolved to figure out how to love God, love each other, and live on mission together. We said that God made us to be in relationships. God is in relationship with himself. Perfect relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he's made us in his image. And he's made us to be in relationships with others. And when we're not in relationships with others, significant relationships, then we feel it. We feel the feeling that none of us likes to feel. We feel loneliness, right? Our feelings tell us this. And we said that sharing life together isn't just about like, me being happy, making me happy and, and not lonely and, and polishing me up and making me better. It's actually about training and challenging me to go out. This is why we share life together. Training and challenging me to go out into real life and succeed on the mission that Jesus left us on. To make Jesus make sense. To go make disciples. And sharing life together with others allows me to really be a part, like a deep part of other people's lives. So I open up my life to other people, which is scary, right? I open up my life to other people and I let them in. And they let me into their life. And relationships grow. And when that happens, I change. And I grow. I become different. I grow closer and closer to the image of Jesus. I become more like him. I begin to see people more and more the way that he does and love people more and more the way that he loves people. Now we said that life together is beautiful, right? Like it's beautiful. 
beautiful to be able to share life together this way because we get a chance to experience the transformation of the gospel in myself and in you, right? It's beautiful. So we said it's also messy because we're humans and we all have gunk. We all have junk in our lives that we're working through. We all have sin in our lives that we're dealing with. But as followers of Jesus, we're not people that go, ew, messy, gross, and want to like walk away from it. We're not repelled by the mess. But instead, as followers of Jesus, we move toward the mess the same way that Jesus moved toward our mess, right? And we said that even the mess, like the messiness in other people's lives, like it sounds inconvenient, it sounds like, oh, I don't know if I really want to be a part of that. Even the messiness in other people's lives actually makes us better. Like it grows us. Because when somebody offends me, when somebody hurts me and I have to forgive them, it reminds me of the ways that Jesus has forgiven me. When somebody ropes me the wrong way and maybe they're having a bad day, I'm gracious to them. It reminds me of the ways that Jesus has been gracious to me. Pretty cool. And so this week we move to our third value that's driven by the gospel, right? Driven by this disturbance inside of us. And this is one that um, I am happy to say has been happening around here long since before day one of our launch. And here's what it is. We have no spare parts. Everyone in the church has an essential part to play. By discovering and developing how we fit into God's storyline, we experience unimaginable supernatural life change in and around us. We have no spare parts. I was, uh, uh, I got a TV, a new TV, a couple weeks ago. I'm a guy, so I like TVs. I love to watch movies and sports and stuff. And so it's one of those, one of those newfangled flat screen TVs, you know what I mean? Anyway, flat screen TV, and I wanted to mount it on my wall, right? So I got a mount, and I'm like not the most handy guy in the world, and so I get my mount, and I'm, and I'm mounting it up there, and I get it all done, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself, you know, I look down, and I got a pile of extra parts, and it's like, like all of a sudden anxiety sets in, like, I don't think I want to test this out and put my expensive TV on this wall mount and have it all crash down, and so I get my manual out, because guys don't really use manuals all that much, right? So I get my, my manual out, and I'm like going through it to find you. Plumb. What I discovered is that they give you a lot of spare parts, depending on how you're going to mount it and what you're going to mount it to. It's like, whoo, relieved, right? But see, here's the thing. God doesn't give the church any spare parts. That's not how God works. God's not like the TV mount companies. God doesn't give the church any spare parts. Every part has a purpose, and every part is needed in order for the church to function properly. And the church is like, it's such a unique thing. The church is such a unique thing. And there's all kinds of different, I don't know if you think about this, there's all kinds of different understandings or metaphors, particularly in our culture, that people see the church as. Let me give you some examples. So some people look at church, and they see it as like a rock concert with a rock star, Right? And people go to church to be entertained, to be impressed. We have like this infatuation with celebrities and, and people that are like extremely gifted. We make so much of them. And we can see the church the same way. And we can go to church to see like this incredible worship leader, right? Or this incredible speaker. And many times we're drawn to great stars and not necessarily great souls. So sometimes people can see the church 
as like a rock show. Other times people can see the church as like a strip mall. You know, I think I think our consumerism, maybe our American consumerism, feeds this. You know, but I go to church to meet my needs, and so I go to this church because they got a really good kids ministry, and I really like that. I send my kids there. But I, I I go to this church because they have really good worship. But I go to this church. I listen to this church online because I love the speaker. He's so good. And we just pick and choose whatever we want, whatever meets our needs. Other times, maybe we look at the church like like a long term dating relationship with no intention of marriage. Right? So it's like, um, I kind of like this church, but I don't really want to be tied down and committed in case something better comes along. That was my girl voice. That wasn't a very girl, good girl voice, was it? Alright, we can see the church that way. Or, we can see the church like maybe a beauty pageant. Like we're judges at a beauty pageant. You know, we can look at the church the way a judge looks at the contestants. And we can nitpick. And we can pick things and we can verbalize that and say, I would do it differently. I don't think you did this right. Like, there's all kinds of different ways that I think our culture, many times us as part of our culture, see the church. You know what it makes me wonder? Again, I don't know if you guys think this way. But it makes me wonder like, what the ancient church must think of us as a church. Not us specifically, but maybe the church in America. And if you go back through the book of Acts and you just see how that church was, if there was some way to like transport them to today, there would probably be some things that they would love, some things that they're like impressed with, right? But then I think there would be some other things that they thought were ridiculous or misguided, maybe just improperly focused, or maybe at worst, like a deformity of what the church should be like. Well, God uses a good metaphor for the church in the Bible. And it's through Paul, God compares the church to a body. So that's the metaphor he uses. And tonight, that's what I want to spend our time looking at. So flip open, if you have your Bibles, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians, we were, we were in 1 and 2 Corinthians a couple weeks ago. And we talked a little bit about this. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's with this, with this group of people that he loves. I mean, he founded this church. He spent a lot of time with them. And so... And, and what I think is interesting about this church, maybe that's why I love this book so much, is they were a people, too, that was a little bit ridiculous in some ways. They were a little bit misguided in some ways, a little bit unfocused, and sometimes even a little bit deformed as a church. And so Paul writes to them to refocus them on what being the church of Jesus Christ should actually look like. And so at the beginning of chapter 12, we're going to pick up kind of in the middle, but in the beginning of chapter 12, Paul talks about spiritual gifts, and he names a bunch of the spiritual gifts here. And uh, how these gifts were given by God, by the one God, by the one Spirit of God, just as he wanted to give them, right? So all of these various gifts were given by the one Spirit exactly as the Spirit wanted to give them. No mistakes, none. So we're gifted exactly how God desires us to be gifted. And then after that, Paul talks about the bodies. Why don't you take a look at it? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to pick up in verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts... But all of, its part, all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. See, I, I love this, this body metaphor that Paul uses, because here it, it really brings out the unity, right? Like we're talking about one body, but also the diversity in the church as well. Like we're all part of one body, but each of us, each of us as parts, could look really different. Some parts can look really similar. 
and a body, right? Like a hand and a foot kind of look pretty similar, especially if you have long toes. My brother-in-law's got some toes that are like as long as my fingers, okay? His foot looks like my hand, but it's basically a big lump of flesh with five appendages coming out of it, right? Like some parts of the body can look pretty similar. It's the same way in the church. But some parts can look really different. Like a nose looks really different than an eyeball. Like they're two really different looking body parts. They don't resemble each other at all, but both are essential. They're essential parts of the same one body. And they both have some pretty essential functions to keep that body going. See, we're the same way. The church is the same way. Some of us are similar. You know, some of us have very similar roles. Some of us have very similar gifts. But others are very different. But together, we make up this one body, the church, the body of Christ. And the different parts of the body aren't in competition. Look back at verse 14. Even so, the body's not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many, there are many parts, but one body. You think about this, like, why do we, I don't know if all is, is too strong a term, maybe it's not, why do all of us, at least at times, wish we were different than what we are? You know what I mean? Like, why do we, why do we look at other people and like long to be like them and not like us? You know, like everybody with curly hair wants straight hair. Everybody with straight hair wants curly hair. Everybody is bald wants hair, right? I, I wish I could play basketball like that guy. Man, he's so good. Right? I wish I could do math like that girl does. Incredible. I wish I had the, the social skills of this person. Like, everybody loves them. I wish I could write like this person. I wish I could lead worship like this person. Why do we always want to be something different? You know how I always want to be different? One of these is obvious. No jokes. I always want to be taller, right? I'm 5'7", five, 5'8", five, in shoes. 5'8", five, five, a quarter in shoes. But I always wanted to be taller. And, then I, and I always wanted to have an Audi belly button. I don't know why. I know that's weird. But for some reason, I always wanted to have an Audi belly button. Why are we so often discontent with who we are and like long to be somebody else? I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. You were made exactly how God wanted you to be made, and God doesn't make mistakes. You and I were made exactly, exactly how God wanted us to be made. He doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make junk. And I think that should give us a lot of confidence. And I think it should give us a lot of hope for our lives. And I think it should really challenge us when we look at somebody else and we like want to think or look or be or act like somebody else that we weren't gifted to be or blessed to be. Like when we try to be somebody else, I think that should challenge us. Listen, God made you exactly how he wanted you to be. God gifted you in exactly, exactly the ways that he wanted you to be gifted. Some of us need to hear that tonight. It's night you're feeling like, I just feel worthless. I just feel like I'm no good at anything. God made you physically, mentally, socially 
gifted-wise, exactly how he wanted you to be. And here's what's beautiful. Together, we make each other better. I'll tell you this. We, I, I see this all over the place around here. And there's such a diversity of gifts at this campus. Like, it's so cool. It's so encouraging for me to see how God has, like, brought all of these different people together with different skills and expertise. Like, if I was the one who was leading worship on Saturday nights, we'd be in trouble, right? If, I, if it was up to me to do the tech stuff, we'd be in big... If, if your kids were entrusted to me, we would be screaming and laughing and running around and eating candy the whole time. Like, it would not be a good thing, Right? But God made us different. We're each something, right? None of us is everything. We're each something, and we're a part of something else that's bigger and better than any of us. And you know what else? No part is any better than any other part. Look back at the passage. Look at verse 20. Paul goes on, he says, As it is, there's many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that have lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. See, sometimes, sometimes I think we can think we're better than other people. Sometimes, maybe it starts out as like competing with each other, you know? Like an unhealthy competition where maybe we jockey for position and maybe we wonder who's more important and then we start thinking that we're the most important. Or, on the other end of the spectrum, we can just kind of always look down on ourselves. And think that we're just not that important at all. You know, like we're not essential. Like I'm disposable. Like I'm not necessary. What do I have to offer? Guys, can I, can I just say that both of those, both of those are equally dangerous and equally wrong. One is pride. Pride says I'm great, right? The other one is calling something that God made junk. I'm junk. Both of those are dangerous. If I think I'm better than anyone else, I better quickly get on my knees and deal with that before the Lord. Because the Lord hates pride in us. Like, if there's one thing over and over and over in Scripture that's, like, detestable to God, over and over, it's pride. We have absolutely no ground to be prideful people. And no one here is greater than anyone else. Not me, not John, not anyone. No one is greater than anyone else. If that's your struggle, with pride, I'm great is your struggle, I would beg you to get on your knees and confess that to the Lord and ask the Lord for His forgiveness and for His help to change. If you're at the other end of the spectrum, if I think I'm worthless, if I think I'm like this dispensable part of the body, my challenge to you is to do the same thing. Is to do the same thing. You get on your knees and confess to Him that you've seen and treated something that He made you as junk as worthless, as this dispensable thing that lacks honor and purpose, like he made a mistake. If that's you, same thing. Kind of go to the Lord and ask him to show you where are you valuable? How are you valuable? Ask him to show you your worth and where you fit into the body as a whole. 
You know, you know something weird about the body? Like when you hurt one part of the body, many times it affects all of the body. Maybe, maybe most times it affects all of the body. So like if I sprain my ankle, right? That's disgusting, I realize. That's not my ankle, it's just a really badly sprained ankle. If I sprain my ankle, and I still have one other really good ankle, and my legs are fine, and my back feels good, and my arms are doing just fine, why is it that all I can think about is my sprained ankle, right? And then I start to get, you know, a little bit bad mood because I got a sprained ankle. And I start to not be very nice to people because of my sprained ankle. And I start to get a little bit negative because of my sprained ankle. And I start to get stressed out because of my sprained ankle. All of the other body parts are fine. Like, nothing else hurts. But all I can think about is this sprained ankle. And it's bothering me and it's consuming me as a person. Guys, it's the same thing with the church. It's the same thing with the church. We are an interconnected body. For better and for worse. That's who we are. That's who the church is. We rejoice with those who rejoice, right? And when one of us is like cloud nine, life is so good, man, we're cheerleaders. We celebrate with them. But we also suffer and mourn with those of us that are suffering and mourning. And one of us, last night, I was talking to, uh, who's part of our campus, whose brother just passed away. And we're talking. And I hurt for him. Because he's hurting. His pain, his suffering affects me. It affects us as a body. See, your life affects mine, and my life affects yours. And our lives affect each other's. That's, that's so important for us to get. Because we live in such an individualistic society where we think, I'm just going to do my own thing, you know? Life's just about me. No, it's not. Your life affects other people, and as part of the body of Christ... Your life especially affects us. So I'm going to stop for a second. And I, and I want to just kind of throw up on the screen some of the stuff that we've talked about. Because I think it helps to see it all in one place. And like realize this is who we are. This is who the church is. First thing we said, you and I are different, but we're united. Right? Like we're different. I mean, we might be similar. We might be a little bit different. But we're together. We're united with one another. We said that I'm exactly the way that God designed me to be. And so are you. Exactly. And God doesn't make mistakes. He made you exactly how He wanted you to be. With your strengths, with your weaknesses, physically, He made you exactly how He wanted you to be. Third, I am not everything. I have strengths and I have weaknesses. And you are not everything. And you have strengths and you have weaknesses. And it's cool because my strengths may make up for your weaknesses. And your strengths may make up for my weaknesses. This is so cool. We're actually designed so that we would only function properly when we're together. Have you ever thought about that? Like, none of us is everything, right? God designed us so that we would hum, that things would go so smoothly when we're together. None of us is everything on our own. Number four, no part is better than any other part. Again, we're just different. No part's better. We're just different parts. And the last one, we're interconnected. When I'm hurt, when I'm not functioning properly, I affect everyone else. The whole body is affected when one part of the body is injured, and we all feel it. And in the same way, we all feel it when other parts of the body are running on all cylinders, when they're just coming along, connected to each other. Because this is the church. Like, this is who we are. And we have no spare parts. It takes all of us, right? This is the church that goes out and makes Jesus make sense. 
This is the church that shares life together. This is the church that has no spare parts. Everybody has a part to play. This is the church that Jesus promises to build. He said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not be able to overcome it. When I, when I look at that stuff and I think about this and church and what we're like and what we're called to do, it begs, it begs two questions to me. The first question is, what's my part? Right? Like, what am I? What, what, what is my part in the church? My hand, my foot, you know, my big toe? I don't know. What is my part? And the second question is, am I doing what I'm designed to do? Am I doing what I'm designed for? If I'm a nose, am I smelling? If I'm an ear, am I hearing? If I'm a leg, am I supporting the body? Am I doing what I'm designed for? And I want to say this. like That first question, I actually think that first question is not all that hard for us to answer. Right? Like, it may take time to understand ourselves, kind of understand how we're wired. That can take time. Especially if you're younger, sometimes it takes time to kind of understand who you are, how God has made you. But I kind of just know what I'm passionate about, don't I? I just, I kind of just know the things that I'm good at. I kind of know the things that I love and that I'm gifted with. And I have other people in my life that I can talk to. I can say, hey man, what do you think about this? Like, do you think that this is, like, is this in my wheelhouse? Is this something that you see me as gifted with? Right? And you have a church that cares about you, that can help you in that, that can help you understand yourself, what part you play. In the back, I made some copies. We have uh, copies of our shape exercise back there, which is part of our give it away class, which we'll be starting here in the next couple weeks. But basically what it does is it just helps you understand how God wired you. So shape is an acronym, right? The S stands for spiritual gifts kind of how God has, has supernaturally gifted you. The H stands for heart. Like, what are you passionate about? What do you love to do? The A stands for abilities. What are, your, what are your talents? What are your skills? The P is your personality. How does your personality, like, what does your personality best prepare you to do? How does it best prepare you to serve? And the E is experiences. How have your experiences shaped you into who that you are? So we have those back there. I encourage you, if you've never taken I'm sure some of you have taken that. If you've never taken that, you should. It'll help you understand who you are. And then email me, and we will sit down, and we will talk through that. And we will wrestle with it together. So I actually don't think, like, this first question, what's my part, is all that difficult for us to answer. You should wrestle with it. You should pray about it. Go to the Lord with it. But I think, and we can help you with it too, but I think that we can answer that question relatively easily. The second question I think is much more challenging for us. Am I doing what I'm designed for? Am I doing what I'm designed for? Go back to that body metaphor for a second. Can you imagine having a body part that works perfectly fine, right? Being perfectly capable, able, that you just choose not to use? Like my foot, for example. My foot works fine. I can do do stuff with it, right? I know, that's impressive. But imagine if I just took my foot and I didn't drag it. I didn't use it. Just drag it along. Works fine, but I choose not to use it. You hurt your foot? No. No? Just not using it? No. Just choose not to use it. Right? Like that, that would be ridiculous, right? Like that wouldn't make a bit of sense. It's perfectly capable of doing what it's designed to do, and you just don't choose to use it. Or how about this? Can you imagine what our, how our world would be different 
if uh, the Beatles never made music is that gifted to, they could do it, they had all the skills, they just never really felt like it. Just kind of sat on their couches and didn't do anything with it. How would our world be different if, if Da Vinci and Picasso and Renoir and Rembrandt and all of these other artists just chose never to paint, just chose never to do it, had all the skills, had all the gifts, but never stepped out, just didn't want to do it? How would our world be different if Michael Jordan or LeBron James never picked up a basketball? Had all the skills, the height, the gifts, right? How would our life be different, our world be different if Stephen Hawking and, and Albert Einstein never pursued theoretical physics? But they did, right? They did. And it required significant commitment. It required significant work for them to use their giftedness to the max. They did it. And all that stuff, music, sports, art, all that stuff's cool, it's fun, it's interesting, it's important at some level, right? We're talking about the church impacting the world with the gospel. The church impacting the world with the gospel. Our, we're in the business of making dead people alive. What we get a chance to do as the church, as the body of Christ, is to help people's eternity change forever. If we're not doing what God has designed us to do as part of his church, if we're like the dead foot that just works just fine, we're just choosing not to use it, can you imagine what the world would be missing? Like imagine the hope. Imagine the love, the care, the grace that the world will miss if you and I as the church don't do what we're designed to do and capable of doing. And it's hard work. I, I readily admit that. But it is so worth it to be a part of God transforming people's lives and then having our lives transformed in the process. So I ask you, what's your part? What's your part? How has God made you? How, how are you using your gifts, your abilities, your experiences, your passions, your talents for the church and for the glory of God? Like, BMW and CBS and Chase Bank and any other place that you work, they get to experience your gifts and your talents, right? What about the church? I realize they pay you, and we don't. I get that. But don't you long to hear the Lord tell you one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Now there is in store for you the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to you on that day. Rewards better than any paycheck that either any of us will ever get. As we can never be okay with the church becoming routine and rote, you know, just kind of going through the motions, because of the power of the gospel in our lives and in our hearts, God has given us the power and the authority to be agents of change, to be agents of reconciliation in other people's lives. And we get to do it together, we get to do it as a body. With lots of different parts, right? Lots of different and diverse parts, but one body, the body of Christ. And Jesus promises to build that church. The gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. He will build that church. But I think it takes each of us doing his or her part in order for that to happen. Do you ever stop and like, just dream about what God might do with Barbara and us? Not that we're anything that special. We're not. But if we're willing... We make ourselves available to Him. We say, God, I'm flawed. I like dust, dirt. But you make beautiful things out of people like me. 
God, I pray, pray that you would do this in our community. Like, can you, like, can we just stop and dream about how God might choose to use us if we're available and if we play our part? I want to challenge you to think about your part. Like, how has God wired you? What has God made you to do? Be a hand, be a foot. How has God made you? You do it when He designed you. Father, we uh, humbly just we want to thank you for allowing us to be part of your plan in other people's lives. And God, even more than that, we want to thank you for being so kind to us and rescuing us and allowing us to know you. There's nothing in us that's worthy of that. And yet, it pleased you send your son to the cross for us so that we can be reconciled. Father, you're transforming us, you're changing us with the power of your gospel, and we want other people to experience that as well. Help us, Lord, to love people that way, to step out maybe of our comfort zones, those walls that John talked about that maybe we put up, to figure out how you've designed us, how you've made us. God, give us the courage and the boldness do those things. To not be a foot that's perfectly good, perfectly capable, that's being dragged along. Instead, to do exactly what you've designed us to do. Please teach us, God. Show us. And we pray that as we step out, that you would use us to your glory. In Christ's name.